Do you love four-letter words? Who doesn't? And then you mix recruiting news and insights in with those four-letter words. I'm Cheese. And I'm Chad. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. We We out. out. In a lot of ways, we've seeded so much of our employer branding thought process and strategy to technology. And that's a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. That's a huge mistake. And don't get me wrong. I love me some tools. I love me some tactics. I love me some very cool technology. You know, at some point, AI is going to make some sort of sense in my particular world. It doesn't right now yet, but it, I imagine that one day it will. I have pretty good faith that that's how that's going to play out. Um, so in the meantime, while technology kind of figures its stuff out and kind of decides what it's going to do, you and I still have jobs to do in terms of how do you extract and how do you deliver and how do you illuminate an employer brand, right? That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Good. Cool. So in today's episode, I'm going to give probably my favorite trick, my favorite idea that I think everybody can steal. I'm pretty sure everybody can steal this. This one's pretty easy. Um, and it's... I kind of waited a while, (laughs) admittedly. I didn't want to put this one out there as soon as it came out because it was a big deal for when I started to put it together. And every time I mention it in a a, a conference or a presentation or anything, people are like, really? That's a great idea. I'm like, I don't know how I'm the – I'm not the only one who thought of it, but I'm the only one who seems to think about it in terms of employer brand. So um, we're going to talk a lot about content creation, most importantly, content creation at scale because that's where you have to live, right? All right, we'll be right back. Welcome to the TalentCast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis, and I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing, and I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. So I have no housekeeping. I'm, I'm done with speaking for the most part. I got a little thing in Austin, I guess technically tomorrow. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Wednesday. Wednesday uh, with Hired. Um, but if you're not in Austin, that really doesn't help you, does it? So <laughs> I'm kind of pulling back on the presentations a bit. Um, maybe one or two big ones in 2020 or a handful of places I would love to speak again. So I'll let you know as that happens. But the housekeeping is really going to be about, hey, by the way, as a reminder, we got this newsletter. And if you want to be smarter about employer brand, this is probably the fastest way to do it. You know, you listen or, you know, listen to the podcast and you care about this stuff. Here's the newsletter. It's anywhere from five to 10 articles links directly to the articles. I don't make any money at this thing. It's non-affiliated based. It's simply a, here's what I'm seeing in the industry. Here's what people are talking about. Here's my spin or take on it. Use it as you see fit. Bing, bang, boom. You're a little smarter. There you go. If you want that, employerbrand.news. That's employerbrand.news. There you go. That's all I got. So let's talk about content. So I'm sure I've said many, many times in the podcast that I come from a content marketing methodology, a thought process, a psychology or philosophy, if you will. And if you will, here we go. 
The trick with content marketing and the reason why it was so powerful 10 years ago and why it was so groundbreaking in its time was that it was saying something that we were already kind of, sort of, maybe, if you squint real hard, doing, but had never really applied a great label to it. And what's amazing about us as human beings, until you apply a label to something, it almost doesn't exist. So you can go back in in history. In fact, there's a whole series of podcasts. Uh, This old marketing, I think, is the best one in terms of talking about all the different ways content marketing has happened historically, starting 100 years ago with the, I believe it's the International Harvester Catalog, where they they told stories about tractors and how people use tractors. And the stories developing content, the magazine around it, became the sales tool, right? That was content marketing 101. You tell a story, you give content, you give value. The content itself has value, its own value. And when you've created goodwill and you've created rapport and you've created a relationship, that's when you engage in the sale. It really kind of aligns with this idea of someone walked up in the street and says, can I sell you a car? You're like, what the hell is this? But once you've talked to someone and they've taught you about cars and they've taught you about the cars they have access to or ways to choose a car, ways to make better decisions about cars. And once you've built that relationship and you feel smarter, that you're not being taken advantage of, that you know what you're doing when it comes to buying a car, that's when you engage that person who helped make you smarter, right? Got it? Cool. That's content marketing pretty much in a nutshell. Employer brand takes this idea and runs with it because it has to. Because the employer brand by itself has very little value well, to the candidate. I mean, if you're looking for a job and you're considering that job and that job is right there and you're trying to understand what it's all about, that is when the, content, that is when the employer brand content makes any sense. But if we look back to what content marketing is supposed to be, the thing where you're delivering content that has value in and of itself before you even get to some sort of pitch or call to action, right? Content marketing. If you engage that idea, most employer brand content marketing isn't really content marketing. It's more, here I'm gonna tell you stories of what it's like to work here. What is the inherent value of learning what it's like to work here? It's real thin, it's real thin. Unless your writing is amazing. And frankly, there are a handful of places whose writing is amazing. And I would read them uh, talking about the phone book, talking about the weather, I don't care what it is. Great copywriting is a joy, no question. Not even a lick of thought on that one. But that happens so infrequently. Most of our content is incredibly boring, pedestrian, sophomoric, get to the point, business driven, right? There are whole classes on how to write the business communication style, which pretty much means kill your personality, kill it dead, get to the damn point, right? There, there's business writing 101. <laughs> Enjoy. You are now inherently smarter having written. Think of that. Think of that idea. Kill your personality. Kill it dead. Get to the damn point. Every time you write an email to your boss or leadership, that should be pretty much the watchword. And frankly, they will love you for it because that's what business communication is supposed to be. And the problem is we take that idea of business communication, kill your personality, kill it dead, get to the point, and we apply it to content that's supposed to be different. The four methodologies or four goals of content marketing are these. Educate, inspire, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on the phone. Oh my goodness, it's been so long since I've done it. Educate, inspire, inform, and entertain. Got it. Got it, got it, got it, got it. I nailed it. It was right there. If your content does not educate or inform or inspire or entertain, or entertain it's not really content marketing. 
So when you write your content for employer brand, it's not just about how do I entice them to get them to click the button that says apply. The content's goal should be one of those four things, to inspire, to inform, to educate, or to, or to um, entertain. That's it. Now I want you to go back to all your quote unquote employer brand content marketing and I want you to write next each piece of content whether it was supposed to inspire, inform, educate, or entertain. Best of luck to you. Maybe one or two of those pieces does one of those things, but mostly not so much. Let's look at your videos. <laughs> Boy, let's look at those videos. This thing you're trying to tell this story of what it's like to be here, is that content entertaining? No. Is it informative? Maybe if you squint real hard. Is it educational? No. Is it inspiring? Probably not. Not unless you're the talking head in front of that thing. It's really not that. You're really serving a purpose. You're making quote-unquote standard marketing, not quote-unquote content marketing. Remember, content marketing has its own inherent value whether you buy something with it or not. Okay? So if we take that idea and say, how do we make our content informative, educational, inspiring, entertaining? That's the goal. Great. How do you do that? Because if you're in charge of employer brand, chances are you're in charge of a fairly good-sized company's employer brand. Meaning you need to make a lot of content. Yikes. And making a lot of content, that is making content at scale, is usually what keeps content sucking. Right? The reason most of our employer brand content is horrible isn't because you're a bad writer, isn't because you're telling stories about bad people, isn't because your company's boring or doesn't have anything to do. It's because you're thinking, I have to make 20 more of these this month. I better just Kill your personality, kill it dead, get to the point. There it is, just putting it right there. Just putting it right there. So how do you make better content at scale? Got your paper and pens handy? Because I'm actually going to tell you. I know this is a big picture kind of podcast. I love to talk about big ideas and strategies, but this is going to be down and dirty. And this, I don't know how long this podcast is going to go. I, I never. I, sometimes I have a good sense of whether it's going to be a quickie or a long one. This one could go a little longer. So prepare yourselves. Uh, like I said, pens and paper, get ready. So here's the deal. The trick is who or what in your company tells the best story or creates the best story? Well, that's, a, that's actually a bad question. In fact, I'm going to take it two steps back because what I want to say is, what I want to ask you instead is, what is your company's employer brand position? That is, are you here? Is the reason your EVP is here is to uh, create opportunity for people? Is it to create status, make people feel like they have higher status because of this? Is it stability? Is it uh, culture? Is it the mission and values of your company? Is it the, uh, the team nature of the company? Is it the innovation? Is it the direction, the performance of your company? Is it, what is the position of your employer value proposition or your employer brand? You need to nail that first because everything you do as an employer brander should on some level spring from that. You have any questions, and I'll try and remember to shoot it in the show notes. Go look for the – go Google employer brand architecture or comprehensive architecture. It's an article I wrote that gives the entire piece. Of the, you, know, you can really start to see where positioning lives inside of all that stuff and how your culture influences your position, et cetera, et cetera, if you need a refresher. And if you need a refresher, tell me because maybe I'll just do a whole podcast on that. That would be a good idea. I can't remember if I've done one or not. Don't think I have. I think it's a little more visual than that. Anyway, side note. <laughs> it's just me talking to myself. I'm in my dining room. No one's here to make fun of me except me. So 
you got to start with your position. You got to know your position. Does your company exist for one of those things? And I was at uh, RecruitCon this week. <laughs> Funny story. Fire alarm went off two-thirds of the way through my presentation. So either I was on fire or someone was thought I was so bad they just had to end it somehow. So you take your, you know, figure it out for yourself. Anyway, I was talking about this and one of the things I realized is if you show the nine positions, you can very quickly prove that those nine positions work by saying, okay, here's a couple companies. Can you pick where it is? If I said SpaceX, which position do you go with? You go with innovation. If I say Red Cross, which position does it go in? You say mission and value. If I say post office, what do you say? It's stability. It's crystal clear that many companies have clear positions and you need to figure out yours. A couple of different reasons for that. I don't want to get too far into the positioning conversation because I think we've talked about it before. But if you know your position, you understand your competition's position. Meaning if you're all about stability and everybody else is about stability, don't talk about stability. That's going to be a fight you're going to lose. It's too complicated. It's too crowded. You need to find another position that is all true about what you're doing and what you're doing about relative to the competitive set. However, if you look at your competitive set and you map it out and you realize, ah, I'm the only one talking about performance, great. That is great. You've got lots of blue ocean. You can talk about performance and people who want to show how, they, how well they perform will be attracted to you more. Boom, there you go. So anyway, you got to have your, you got to have your position down. Once you have your position, the question then becomes, how do you turn that position into something less abstract and conceptual? Hi, how you doing? My name's James Ellis, and I live in the abstract and conceptual training pretty much 24-7. Uh, but we're trying to bring it down a little bit here. We're trying to bring it grass, you know, not grass, uh, brass tacks, perhaps, maybe boot level, right? Once you understand your positioning, how do you make that positioning make sort of sense? If you say, my business is all about innovation, what the heck does that mean? If you're a startup, if you're trying to get to Mars, if you're a law firm and you say you're all about innovation, the thing you mean when you say innovation is going to be different in all three of those companies. So you have to be crystal clear what you mean by innovation if innovation is your position. And whatever your position is, you've got to be crystal clear. So how do you create lots of stories about that position? Well, I always go back to this idea. What do I care what your company does? What do I care what your company says? What do I care about what your marketing says? Those are commercials. And we all know the data is crystal clear that if you have, you know, base your entire brand on commercials, you probably have to show a person your commercial nine to 12 times before they even have any clue what the heck it is you were trying to say because nobody actually pays attention to commercials. In fact, most people spend a good deal of money trying to avoid them, right? Every time you're on Netflix, remember you're paying money so you can avoid commercials. Right. Every time you go to Spotify or use Pandora and you ha you're paying for it so you can avoid commercials, that's exactly what you're doing. You're trying to avoid commercials. Okay. Most people don't want commercials. So if you try to build your brand and build content in a commercial model, you're in trouble. It's a tough one. It's a really tough ask. Not impossible, just hard. And like I said, unless you're an amazing copywriter or an amazing creative director or something, and if you have one of those and you can make best friends with them and buy them lots of beer and donuts, great, use them. However, most of us don't have that. So what you do have and what is actually very helpful in shaping and framing your employer brand is employees, right? There's, there's, the data is crystal clear. Nobody believes your commercial message, but they will believe the pe they will believe word of mouth. They will be believe the people who have bought the product. Look at Amazon. If the copy on the product is glowing and the reviews are crappy, guess what? You're not buying it. 
probably. So you want to leverage the people who have the most credibility, staff, who have the best position of understanding what it's really like to work there, credibility and authenticity, great, that's your staff, and chances are there's a lot more of them there are you. <laughs> just I'm just saying, there's probably a lot more staff than there are you. So how do you extract a story from them? Well, you could always just email them all. Let's do a quick mass email, uh, all at nameofyourcompany.whatever, and you say, hey, everybody, can you tell me a great story about why you work for this company and it should align to this position? And you hit send, and you wait for all the content stories to come rolling in. And you're going to wait a long time, mostly to the point where they fire you. <laughs> because that's a horrible idea. Because that's never going to work. Because while people love to tell their stories, that model of asking for the story is never going to get it done. It's never going to make the thing move. It's never going to make the magic happen. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but the most important of which is someone's going to see that and go, oh, I would like to tell my story, but I have about 4,000 questions at this point, and no one's there being clear that they want to answer my questions, and I'm looking around the company and looking and then it goes, oh, gosh, no one else is really caring about this. And would I be the only one doing this thing? Would I be the weirdo for doing this thing? Guess what? I'm going to delete this email and pretend it never happened. That was your best audience right there. That was your best chance of getting someone to tell your story. And they just deleted your email for fear that they would be the only one doing it. So we got a different model. Ready? Here's the spoiler. And if you've read my 99 employer brand hacks available at employerbrand.news, some of this stuff is going to be pretty clear. I've already kind of seeded some of that piece, but I'm going to spell it all out soup to nuts right here. You're going to start by making a form. Google form, SurveyMonkey, don't care. They're both free. Ba -bum 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 SurveyMonkey, you eventually have to pay if you do a lot of these. Anyway, let's keep it simple. What are you going to put in this form? Well, start by asking for someone's name and their title and their team, and depending on your company, probably some other metadata like location or department, or well, you know your company better than I do, so you can kind of figure out what kind of metadata would I ask for. Keep it simple. If it's a team or a department, make it a pull down. Do not make them type it in. Trust me, this will save you a lot of time down the road. So once they answer the ask you after you ask the basic metadata, ask them some questions. What questions, James? Thanks so much for asking, James. That's great. I'm glad you have, have glad to have you as a co-host, and I'm not schizophrenic. I know you all thought that, and I'm not drunk. It all depends on your position. This is why position matters. So if you're trying to say your position is all about innovation, you need to ask questions that elicit answers that are likely to focus on the concept of what it means to be innovative at your company. I'm going to say that again because <laughs> I think it's important. Your questions are a function of your position. If your position is stability, you should ask questions whose answers rely on stability. For example, and stability is the tough one because everybody goes, what the hell questions would I ask that get people to talk about how amazingly stable this company is? That's, that sounds weird. Well, what about this? How long, have you, how, how long have you been here? Who is the person with the most tenure and how many years have they been here? What are you planning on doing once you retire? Stability, stability, stability. Do you have a long-term career plan? And how do you think the company is supporting it? Stability, stability, a little bit of growth in there, but stability. 
Now, those are boring questions, and you can give them a little jazz, you can give them a little love and make them pop a bit, but you get the idea. Those questions are all about getting people to think about long-term benefits, a longer-term career. Why? Because what your company offers is stability. Yay. If your company offers performance or innovation or mission or something, there's lots of other questions you could be asking that elicit similar ideas. You're mission-driven? Talk about Talk about other ways you volunteer for this mission. Talk about other ways you're giving back to this mission. Ask them about, are there any other charities or volunteering uh, networks they, they, le- they use and who they like? Talk about the last time the team went on a volunteering session or a volunteering trip. Talk about why they like the mission. Talk about the ways in which they see the mission supporting something else. If your mission is to... Uh, make a company so it makes every you know you you take a a ride share company you say our mission if we're mission driven and by the way none of them are but if they were they would say our mission is all about helping people get from place to place inexpensively you talk about when's the last time you talked to a customer and what did they like about our mission think about the people ask them about the people who might not have been served had they had to own their own car who not might not have been able to get to work or get to a hospital or get to wherever they had to go based on a standard 20th century model of transportation ask them the questions that get them to the point that they think about what the mission's about and how the mission impacts them and other people think you're all about opportunity great talk about what's the most what's what have you learned recently what has your boss told you Who's the best coach in your company? Who's helping you develop? What's the thing you've achieved recently? What's your big victory? What's your big win as of recent? Now, these are really, 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 really dry questions. I grant you that. Like I said, you can make them exciting. Last time I did this, the question I like to use is, what does your mom mom or dad think you do for a living? Or what do they think you do all day? Now, to me, to me, I think it's a fun question, lightens the mood, and if the brand or position you're trying to talk, you know, express is a little light, it's trying to be fun, trying to be relaxed, that's a great question. I used it at a company whose brand was deeply unrelaxed, and the answers I got were hilarious. One of them says, well, I live with my mother, so she knows exactly what I do all day. And you're like, okay, you missed the point of that question altogether there, buddy, but thanks for playing. And I went, you know what? That's not on them. That's on me. I misread the room. (laughs) If you don't read the tone of the room, it's very easy to screw this up. So your job is to know the company, know the room. So write questions that are interesting, that are engaging, that elicit ideas around the position. Now, I'm not going to give you answers or questions for every one of these because you're smart, possibly even smarter than me about a lot of this stuff, but I'm going to give you the pointer. Like That's the kind of questions you should be asking. So you make a form, and you're going to put anywhere from 10 to 15 questions. And in this case, I think, not counting the metadata questions of name and title and all that stuff, I think more is better. Because what's going to happen is you're going to build not just a questionnaire to create a story. You're actually going to start creating a system. And it's easier to create this particular system if you've got a lot more material to work with. And we'll talk about that in a second. So you come up with your questions and you say, okay, again, if I say all at whatever, boom, please fill out this form. Thanks so much for listening. Crickets, 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 fired. Okay, let's not do that. What you want to do instead because you've been there a little bit, right? You've been there for a week, you've been there for a month, you've been there for a year, you've been there for multiple years. You've created allies. You've created a network of people who kind of get this whole employer brand thing and they think it's kind of interesting. Maybe they've pushed back on you. Maybe they've, you know, tried to keep you honest about this stuff and not turn into all sunshines and roses. 
but they still are engaged. They still care. They still want to make sure this isn't a waste of time, that this actually helps solve the problem it's meant to solve. You have allies. You have allies in the company. They don't have to be the biggest cheerleaders. They don't have to be all rah-rah. They simply have to be people that when you ask for a favor, you know more than likely they'll, they'll try. They'll do their best to help you out because that's what they've done before. They've been super helpful in the past, directing you, uh, giving you information, giving you a tribal knowledge that you might not have been able to uncover otherwise. They've just been helpful. Again, you do not just write an email to everybody and say, hey, fill this out. The email should say, hey, you have been an unbelievable help in the past trying to establish employer brand within this company. Insert your own kind of context here. It's, that's not, I mean, I'm just telling you what I know. You've been incredibly helpful trying to establish employer brand as a, con, as a concept. I know it's a kind of a crazy idea. It takes a lot of pushing and we are making some traction. And what I really would love for you right now is to ask for one small favor. You are an amazing employee at this company and I would love to tell your story a little bit. But I don't, I want to keep this really simple. Could you just, here's a link. Could you just fill out this form when you get a chance? Keep it as simple and direct as possible. You can be, it can be as long or as short as you think is right. Just answer the questions as best you can. If you hate it, ignore it. If you hate it, come back to me and we can make some changes. But really, you control it. Let me know what you think. Send that link to one person and then repeat that eh, 10 times. Because the numbers are pretty simple. If you send that email out to 10 people, anyway, from three to five people will ignore or delete that email. Okay, so now you're down to five to seven kind of potential responses. And of those people, of the five responses, two of them are really crappy written, crappily written. And frankly, they don't understand what they're asking for. So it's kind of like they do it half-assed, right? But the three, the three that come back, they're pretty good. Your questions are good and you're starting to learn which questions work and which questions don't. Or maybe even you might be smart enough to realize, oh, that question works a lot better on the sales team than the HR team. And that question works better, vice versa, better on HR than it does sales. And by the way, over time, what you'll start to do is build some logic. So in your metadata, when people pick team or department, they get a team or department specific list of questions that you figured out these work better for these people. Cool? Cool. Of the three that come back, you've got, and it's gonna go, if it's Google Form, it's just gonna go in a table. It's like, there's all, there's all the information. And you know who wrote it, and you know when they wrote it, you have, you don't have to track it down, whatever, it's super easy. Now, I want you to walk away from it. This is a good start. In fact, you can, once you kind of send that email, you can walk away from it for a little bit because it's gonna take a couple of days, maybe even a week before you get those three responses. In fact, chances are you'll probably get a couple of emails back saying, what the heck is this? Can you explain it to me? And at that point, you're going to have to say, look, I'd love to explain it to you, but it might be better if you walk into this cold. Just trust me on this, and I promise not to make you look like a jerk. And I love the part at the end where you say, I promise not to make you look like a jerk or stupid or a fool or anything like that. You, you kind of frame it the way you want to frame it. But it's this idea of, look, you're putting your neck out for me and I respect that and I appreciate that and I'm going to protect you as you do that. And when you do that, people go, all right, I'll play along and you're in. So while those, that process is kind of working, I want you to go over this other side and think, okay, I'm, if I'm creating content, where is the content going to go? Is it going to go on Facebook? Is it going to go on a website? Is it going to go on a Medium post? Is it going to go on a Reddit post? I don't know what you do, but you got to think about where it's going to go. And the more you control where it goes, the better off you are. But ultimately, your goal is to say, 
if I know, if I can envision a future three, six, 12 months from now where people are filling out that form on a regular basis and all I got to do is copy the material from that form and paste it into a spot, make a little minor tweaking, give it a quick read to make sure nobody misspelled anything, obviously, a few little design tweaks, and I push it out, where is it going to go? Now for me, when I did it, I used a WordPress install because WordPress is free and I love free. And I could control it. I have a lot of experience being, you know, in, in my life with WordPress, so it was really comfortable for me. Your mileage will vary. There's lots of other ways to do it. But in the end, what you should be trying to think about is a template for a profile in this case. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Put a picture at the top, put some metadata on the side, maybe a couple extra fun pictures in the middle. Boom, it's a template. So whether the CEO fills it out or the intern fills it out or the head of HR fills it out or the three-week-old sales guy fills it out, it doesn't matter. Question, answer, question, answer. The templates kind of look the same. Now, what's nice about WordPress, and not that I'm selling WordPress and I can't because it's free, is that there's categorization. So as people would fill out the forms, I would actually take their metadata and turn them into categories. Oh, you're on the HR team? Category HR. Oh, you're based in the Madrid office? Category Madrid. And I had categories for every team, every department, and every location. Why? Because it was a global company we were doing it for. Your mileage will vary. You'll figure out other ways to do it. Maybe you talk about leadership, and maybe you talk about interns, and maybe you talk about staff. I don't know. It's up to you. You know better than I do. You pick it. So once you have that metadata and you start to categorize that stuff, what happens is you create the template. Now, the first template will take what feels like forever. In fact, it should, because once you lock this down, you're not going to want to change it very often because as you create new pages, they're going to live in that template. So the better you nail it first, the better you really stick the landing on that first one, the less change you're going to have to make down the road. What you want to avoid is having to come up with six months from now realizing, oh, I need to add this thing and I have to go back and I have to make changes to 50 pages and I just ruined my day. That's no fun. So make sure you got it right the first time. And that means making a dummy page, making a dummy template. Use some fake information. Go to lorem ipsum and grab some blah, 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 blah. Here's a question, here's an answer. Here's a question, here's an answer. Make sure that the questions obviously look like questions and the answers obviously look like answers. Whether it's text or font or you know bold or italics or whatever, design, left, right, alignment. There's all sorts of ways to make it look like it. Get some help if you need it, but figure it out. Because the question, answer, question, answer, it's kind of how this is going to go. So you better figure that out. Where should the photos go? Should they go at the top? Should they go in the middle? Should they go at the end? Should they go on the left? Should they go right? You got to figure all that out. Where does the metadata go? And once you start to build it, you'll start to realize all the other things. It becomes kind of a, and I always joke, it becomes a Christmas tree. And you start to think of all the different ornaments you can hang on the tree. That's fine. It's fine. You don't have to start with a lot of ornaments. Just know that as ornaments show up, they're going to end up, they're going to want to be on the tree at some point. So focus on nailing that template, show it to a couple of people, show it to a couple of recruiters, maybe a designer or two, get some good feedback. What would they change? You don't have to do what they say, but it's good to get feedback. It keeps you honest and you need a second set of eyes because as someone who's a bad designer and has had to do a lot of design in his life, a second set of eyes saves your rumpus every single time, every single time. So go get it. Okay, so you've created these three pieces of content. I'm sorry, you just got three answers to forms. Let's not uh, go crazy with it. You've got a template, so you know where they go. So you go to the answers and, cop and you copy and you paste them. There they are. And you put your questions. So it goes question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. There you go. 
You put the metadata as categories, you put the metadata, visualize it however you want to do it. Maybe it's icons. There's so many fun ways to do it. I promise this gets really fun once you get into it. Go take a picture. In fact, what you should do is say, this, this first, be effusive with your praise. Thank you so much for filling this out. This is amazing. I can't wait to show you what this is going to be. You're going to be really impressed. In the meantime, can you send me two goofy pictures of yourself from your phone? Just whatever you have that's fun. They can be Snapchat GIFs. They can be uh, Instagram loops. They can be boomerangs. They can be, hell, use all the filters you want. Gloss it up. Look like an influencer. Who the hell cares? Go nuts. If that's who you think you are and that's how you want to portray yourself, let's use it. Now, every company's different. If you're doing this for a hedge fund, you're probably going to go less on the goofy animated GIFs. But if you're a startup, you're probably going to go more. And your job is to kind of know that line and stick to it. Good for you. Okay. And they say, and what you really need to do then is say, I need a one great shot. Now, in your template, you have a spot for like a headshot. Maybe it's a wide frame cinescope kind of thing, and it's the banner across the top. That's what I did. Or maybe you've got to make a nice big headshot, glossy, that's, you know, a uh, portrait shaped that's kind of tucked on the side of the page. Go for it. I don't care. But what you should do is figure out how to take a decent picture with your camera phone. It doesn't take much. Here's the spoiler light yourself properly. That means if there's sun, don't put it behind them, put it behind you. Use, get as much light as humanly possible. What they never tell you about cameras, and maybe you're noticing as the new cameras and phones start to talk about the amazing low light capabilities, is the more light, the easier there, more light there is, the easier it is to take a great picture. Like you remember those banners, those, um, not banners, um, billboards, and there was amazing pictures at the bottom that says, photo taken by iPhone to show you how amazing, like, amazing this, this picture is. And you'll notice they're all broad daylight. They're using maximum light. There's a reason for that. So use light to your advantage. Everything else is, is adjustable. Everything else is negotiable. Do it inside the office, great. Just be near a window and you do it on a sunny day, you get lots of good bright, lots of good light. You wanna do it outside, great. You wanna, you can use backdrops, you can use not backdrops, you wanna do it at their desk, whatever. Find kind of a style that suits you and suits the position of the page and the site. Okay, trust me. If you go and see the stuff I've done and you see that's a really nice picture, I will tell you it was with an iPhone 8. It's two versions behind the current version. They look great, don't you worry. So, you've got content, you've got photos. In fact, what might, be ha what might happen is that some of those people who thought, okay, yeah, I'll get that email and I will kind of sort of fill out that form, you can always push back and say, hey, Thanks for filling out the form. I love what you gave me. There's a, you, you seem to kind of talk about a story here, but you don't f flesh it out. Can you go back and answer these two questions and just email me and I'll stick them in the form for you. And that's how in about 15 seconds, you can get a whole lot of content because you're not having to go to their desk and interview them and booking time and edit it, write it and edit it and kind of push it back to them and say, does this make sense? And since I'm not, I don't do your job and I don't quite understand what a machine learning does or a lawyer does all day. Does this make sense? Or am I making up words? Or what the hell's going on, right? You're getting rid of all that time and it's all about your letting them write the content. You're just creating guide rails, guardrails, so that they stay in the position, that they're telling stories that are helpful to you. You don't need them to spin the party line. You don't need them to, to salute the flag. You just need them to tell a story that aligns to the position. And they're going to tell the stories that the questions demand. So be judicious with your questions. Okay. Seeing how this is coming together? Well, the nice thing is the form, which will evolve, but it doesn't go away. 
The content, once it's created, sits in that table until you're ready to use it. You can start to build a cadence of one every two days, one every four days, one every week, one every two weeks, whatever, depending on the size of your company, depending on how fast this goes, and people will send you content and you have a bit of a buffer to take that content, copy it, paste it, bloop, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, stick on a couple of pictures, stick on the metadata, schedule, boom, walk away. What happens though after that, after those first three go out, and by the way, when the first three go out, don't bang a drum just yet. Release it quietly. Tell the three people whose posts you've made that they're there. In fact, give them one last chance to say, oh God, don't say that. Or can I change that? Or can I add that? Give them a shot because the truth is you got to do these three right. Why? Because these three become the template, not just of the visual design of it, but everybody who comes next is going to look at those three and say, oh, that's what this crazy employer brand person is asking for when they ask me to fill out this form. Got it. This is the example of what it should be. And they're going to look at those examples and say, oh, I understand what's being asked of me. So if you don't get that right, you're going to really make your heart life a lot harder down the road. So soft launch it. Show it to those three people. Show it to some recruiters. Show it to to your boss. Let them know what's going on. Let them know what you're doing. Tell them, just get some feedback. Let them kick the tires a little bit. If you need to make some tweaks, this is the time to make some tweaks, either visually or process-wise or structurally, whatever it is, because making changes to three pages is easy. Making changes to 300 pages, less easy. Much, much, much less easy. Once you've got it nailed, that's when you launch it. And you want to launch with the biggest possible platform, the biggest possible bang you can get. And I'm not going to say all staff. I'm not going to say all email at whatever. But if you can start to say, hey, everybody who's an ally, hey, everybody who, can you, you find their bosses. See if you can go talk to the EA and say, hey, would you mind if I sent this email to the C-suite because I want them to see what's about to come down the pipe? Get the biggest launch possible. Why? Well, a couple of different pieces to this. First, and I was blown away when this happens, and this is a real life story. This is not just some sort of conceptual idea of what I think happens. This is what happens. <laughs> Once you release those three stories, I can almost guarantee you there will be at least three, and possibly as many as 30, other people who will swing by your desk, either virtually or physically, and say, hey, how come they got stories and I don't get a story? What did they do that was so cool that I haven't done yet? You know, I've won awards. You know, I just got promoted. You know, you know, you know. And suddenly, in a world which you're usually begging people, please give me content, please write a story, please pay attention to me, suddenly the tables have turned and they are coming to you. But it wouldn't happen if you just said, hey, fill out a story. They would say, I don't want to get to that because they don't see it. They don't know it. They don't get realize that people are paying attention to this thing. It's a conceptual idea, not a website, not a piece of content, not a thing. Once it becomes a piece of content, once it becomes a website, once it becomes a social channel, once it becomes a whatever it is, once it becomes the thing, then people go, oh, I get it now. I want to be a part of that. And beyond those first three to 30 people, as you do it, as you start to add more content, as start, people start to realize this isn't just a one-off, it's not just I'm going to tell the story of three people, but I'm going to tell the story of, I, know I always used to say, my ultimate goal, though I will never, ever, ever get there, is to tell everyone's story. And when you say that, people realize, oh, you're going to do this for a while. This isn't just a cool idea. This is a thing that you're sticking to. And the answer is, hell yeah. 
this is going to be the thing. Because if I want to activate my brand, if I want to tell stories, I can make stories, but those stories are going to come once every blue moon because I'm busy and I don't know everybody's story. But if I let other people tell their own story, if I create guardrails, if I guide them in the right direction, I can have them tell their own stories in ways that align to where I want them to be. I still have complete control of that content. If they say somewhere in their Hail Satan, I can say, you know what, I'm going to take away that Hail Satan. I don't think anybody needs to know that. We can just trim that out. Or there's an answer where they bash somebody or say something inappropriate. You just trim that part out. That's easy. Or if they use it as an opportunity to just bash everybody, no one said you had to publish the damn thing. You weren't promising anybody anything. So you still have a lot of control. You're conducting the orchestra instead of playing every instrument. And that's a great place for an employer brand professional to be, right? Especially if you're trying to think at scale. If you've got an office with 10, 20, 50,000 people and you've got offices in dozens of countries, you simply can't show up to every country and say, oh, I'm going to look around. I'm, I'm going to be the Anthony Bourdain of my company. I'm going to go from place to place. I'm going to have lunch with some people. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to say something pithy. Video crew is going to follow me and, we're in, and it's going to be really compelling. Guess what? <laughs> That's not going to happen on so many levels, none of which are as important as the fact that you are not Anthony Bourdain. Moving on. But this content creation process creates a machine that just kind of spits out stories on a regular basis. Now, I like to think a long, 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 long time ago, back when we were hunters and gatherers, and we were wandering the plains or wandering the forests or wandering the whatever the hell, the savannah, sure, what the heck. And we were looking for food and we, it, was a, it was a feast or famine kind of mentality, right? You find the bison, everybody's eaten. You look around, there's no bison, hmm, you can't trust when the next bison's going to be floating around, wandering by, swinging by, saying, hey, who wants a meal? It doesn't work that way. You don't, aren't in control. But as we move from hunter-gatherers to farmers and you could start to predict regularity of food, you know what happens? Population goes crazy. Everybody starts procreating like crazy because they not, it's not a boom and bust cycle. No one's going, I don't know if I'm going to eat next week. Why would I bring a kid in the world? And I don't know how much thought process goes into that model right there, especially if you're talking thousands of years ago. That's not for me to say. But if you know there's regular food, you're going to make better decisions. You're going to create I don't know, buildings, because you don't have to move every 20 minutes because the food just walked away. You know you're going to stick around. If you know you're going to stick around, you can make roads and irrigation, and you can make things like furniture, because you couldn't stick the furniture on the back of the horse, so you ended up sleeping on the ground. Maybe you had a couple of fur hides or something that made it a little cozier. But now that you know that you live here, you can make decisions because this is now a long-term strategy. Same thing for content. If you know you're going to have content every week for the rest of your life, because the machine just kind of does the thing, what happens when you have 10 stories or 50 or 300? Because those situations are different than having three. Three is a good idea. 300 says, okay, having categorized these stories properly, I am now, because of the magic of, say, a WordPress, you click Madrid and it shows you all the Madrid stories. Congratulations, you just made a Madrid page. And everybody in the Madrid office thinks you've custom made a Madrid page and they go, wow, you really get that Madrid is a big part of this company. And we're not just some sort of offshoot that people generally forget. Oh, you know, that's not how it is. People really get what we're all about. And suddenly the content tells its own story. The recruiters start going, you know what, I'm trying to hire a new lawyer in Madrid, 
gosh, it would be easier if I had a story of a lawyer in Madrid. Do I know? Oh, look, here's one. And they start to share that out to say, here's what it's like to be a lawyer in Madrid. Super specific, super particular. It's about that job. It's about that office. There's very little abstraction there. And they shoot it out and say, look, if this sounds like the kind of lawyer job you want, we'd love to talk to you. And suddenly that flywheel starts moving. I always think about it as making bricks. You know, making a brick takes a couple of hours, right? You make a form and you pour the clay and the adobe and whatever in it and you let it dry and pop it out and there's a brick. And it took, let's just say, three hours. I don't know how long it takes to make a brick. How long does it take to make two bricks? I don't know. You take a form, make it slightly bigger. You put the stuff in it, you let it dry for three hours, and you spit it out. So there's three hours. How long does it take to make 10 bricks? I don't know. You make a bigger form and you pour the clay in and you let it dry and you spit it out. It takes about three hours. Once you build a system that just generates that kind of content at scale, the cost per element, the time per element drops precipitously. Precipitously might be the bad, 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 wrong word because it's a negative connotation. It drops like a rock in a good way. You love it. It's so easy to make content. And you start to say, once you have a lot of bricks, I don't have to just say I have a brick. You can start to say I have a stack of bricks. So maybe today I make a barbecue. Maybe today I make a doghouse. Maybe today I make a, a veranda. Maybe today I make a house. Maybe today I make the mini mansion. And suddenly you can move those bricks around all sorts of different ways. You are creating and managing content at scale. And as you do it, as you create more content, more people want to be involved. Hey, I have a great staff member and I'd love to reward them. Can we do a profile of her? Yes. Here's the link. Doesn't cost you anything extra to do it. Hey, somebody just got promoted. I'd love to talk about them. Here's the link. Hey, we just hired someone. I think they have an interesting story to tell. Here's the link. Just to the form. Here's the link is the answer to everything. And you can control who you give the link to or you can open up and say, hey, Hey, managers, hey, leaders, if you know someone great, here's the link so anybody can write their own story and we'll pick and choose what we want, how we want it, because you still have control and control is good, right? So to me, basing on a content creation model in which people self-express, people pick their own level of involvement, you still own control and process, you're beginning with the end in mind, good old Stephen Covey, right? You're be- you know that the end result is this profile. It's question, answer, question, answer. So you built a template for it and you ask the questions around it to make it super easy. You don't have to, the, the questions, the forms is not a beginning state. It's the end state. Once you have the answers, you just copy and paste it and give it a quick copy edit, polish and you're done. You don't use those, those answers at the beginning of an article you have to write, which still takes way too long. And chances are you're going to screw it up because you don't know their life as well as they do. So let them tell their own damn story. So that's the trick I used at other jobs. I've used it multiple times. It's a pretty cool trick. Um, but I wanted you to have it because it's not something I have to worry about at the moment. And I thought you would enjoy it. So if you have questions on this trick, if you have questions on the content create at scale model, let me know. Otherwise, I will see you next week. As always, thanks so much for listening. Feel free to leave a review, share it on social, all that good stuff. Um, you know, this is now part of a big network. Big, sort of, I guess. Chad, it's just Chad and Cheese and a couple other people. It's just... You know, uh, you know, recruiting future and, and Jim Stroud and all that good stuff. But it's it's a good group, so I'm glad to be a part of it. But love it when you share it, and they're going to love it too. So thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at the War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or 
let's just talk. That's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me, let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.